on today's episode, Becoming a Sustainable Runner with Tina Muir. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me undertrained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. I always love having a chat with Tina and she's been on the podcast before. I've been on her podcast before. Um, now she is back to talk about her new book. Um, so Tina, she's the CEO and podcast host of Running For Real. She is a great human being, a mum and a former elite runner and now or has been a sustainability advocate and her new book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner with um, her co-author Zoe, comes on the podcast now to have a chat about it. And if you want to learn how to be a better human, be a better runner, if you want to run better races, but also feel good about your health, feel good about the planet, uh, this is a really nice conversation. And usually when I chat with Tina, she's very honest, very real. Like we take it, we take several different tangents. Um, it's not usually just a question and answer sort of conversation. We just, uh, we dived into a lot of different avenues here, which I'm really happy with. It's going to help um, you as a runner. And if you are listening to this and you love the message, you love the the tips and you love Tina just in general, go check out her book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner. Um, it's available now. Um, it's only just been released. This is fresh, fresh off the presses. And the content within it is sort of sectioned off if you want to become, well, different sections talking about your body, talking about the community of running and talking about the planet as well, which we're going to dive into all of those sorts of things. Tell you now, you're going to love it. Let's bring on Tina. Tina, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Me too. And now you've got this new book, which um, you've worked very, very hard on. And mm -hmm. at the time of recording, it's it's out today, well, in the US, but I wanted to rewind a bit and mm -hmm. go through the ideas of the book. Um, what, how did you come up with that idea and uh, what was that whole process like? Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting that every, this has been, this is like the, the question that everyone leads off with. And it's a question that I don't think I really prepared for that much because I think I thought that, you know, the things that I talk about are kind of seeking joy, finding a good, solid relationship with your running and sustainability. And so I find it interesting that this is like the question that that, that everyone wants to know um, because mm -hmm. these are things that had been in my mind for many years. Um, and particularly with the, I think when people hear becoming a sustainable runner, they assume, 
oh, this is an environmental book. This is an activist book. They're going to tell me to never fly. They're going to tell me to go vegan. Um, but it, it really isn't that one. And two, actually, the only the final third is about that book because I had always, or not always, but since I quit running, which we talked about last time around in 20. Six, uh, 2017 I had decided in that moment I really wanted to find a, a, a solid relationship to my running where I felt secure in it in my body I just was doing it different to how I did it before and so that to me was actually sustainable what what I thought about when it came to sustainable running was just getting ourselves to a place where it wasn't just about getting to finish lines which is where I ended up before it wasn't just about doing what I needed and I wanted and I'm not going to run with that group because they run 15 seconds per mile slower than me like I wanted to get to a place where I could feel secure in who I was and I knew other people were struggling with a similar thing and the same with the middle third which is community that had always been of interest to me and particularly over the last three or four years I'd really thought about how community just leveled up not just my running but my life in terms of giving back in terms of just being around other like-minded people and so um, the idea just came about like building on that recognizing that each of those pieces individuals community and planet all are interconnected all lean on each other all make one another better Um, and also that it just was going to be about this journey not about the end point there is it's not called become a sustainable runner or how to be a sustainable runner it's called becoming because we are Zoe and I are still on that journey too it's funny isn't it like almost every recreational runner uh the ones that listen to this podcast that's what they want they want to be a sustainable runner and it's so funny how a lot of us just naturally gravitate towards a relationship with running that's not sustainable and most <laughs> yeah. people think about it as well, I'm talking mainly from like a body perspective. Like we run ourselves into injuries. We run through mm-hmm. injuries. We get like burnt out. Um, some of us like lose the joy because of that unsustainability. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think people love running, want a long relationship with running, but sometimes they just naturally gravitate towards something that's not sustainable? Yeah. And you know, to further highlight your point, I mean, I currently haven't run in two days. I pushed my body too far a few days ago and my Achilles was a little bit angry. Um, and so I've backed off. So I clearly maybe don't have the answers if someone wants the the um, <laughs> the secret. I don't have it because I still am guilty of doing that. Like that was, but this, what I'm saying right now is a good example of where I t- I'm taking two days off, I'm taking three days off, and then I'll, you know, I'm seeing a um, professional here. Um, but I'm still learning that too. And I think a lot of it is, I think some of it is stubbornness. We, you know, we pick the sport that isn't, isn't something that um, you kind of jump in and jump out of, like you might in a soccer game or a football game, as, as you would call it, as I would call it. But just there's people around me in America don't call it. Um, a football game (laughs) or um, you you know something like where you get lots of rests and little breaks we pick the sport that is just like continuous you keep going you get it done doesn't matter if it's raining doesn't matter if it's snowing you just keep on going 
Um, and so I think we do find it hard because we almost attach our identity to this, like, I'm just a gritty little person. I'm going to get it done. Um, but also I think, yeah, like it, it is one of those things that, that, you know, the post run endorphins are addicting. You, you want to keep that. Um, we love our consistency and we did talk in the book to also the, the comparison thing. I mean, we have Strava where you get to see what everyone's been doing and it makes you feel sometimes like, oh, I better keep up. I don't want to like, they're getting faster. I need to too. Or same with social media. Um, and so I think there's many different factors. Um, but I think it's just naturally the type of person that is drawn to running that is primarily the reason because there are a lot of laid back runners and they don't seem to be dealing with as much of that as possible uh, as we do because they are just able to be like, yeah, I don't feel good today. So I'm going to take a take a day off. But those of us who are type A and very like uh, stubborn uh, often can't pull back. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like this sport um, naturally like people who are that type A kind of sort of some perfectionists sort mm -hmm. of gravitate towards this sport, but in nature, this sport is open-ended. Like you said, um, I, I talk about, well, I, I think about, I grew up playing basketball and, mm -hmm. you know, that was always 40 minutes, always ended at 40 minutes. And yes, I'd play a couple of games per week. I would play, I do trainings a couple of times a week. I'd work pretty hard in those trainings, but you know, it's very hard to be, it's not a sport where you'd say, okay, I finished that in 40 minutes. Let me try and play two games of basketball back to back. <laughs> uh, oh, that became quite easy. Let me do three games of back, back to back, or let me do the yeah. same amount of effort and let me try and do that in 15 minutes instead of 40 minutes. And then I look on Strava and, oh my God, someone's just played 10 games of basketball straight uh, and let me try and do that. It's like that is exactly what running is. Yeah. And when you so have true. the combination of the personality with this open-ended sport that you, you know, and it's it's a sport where you want to keep pushing yourself. You want to keep pushing your capabilities, get faster, get further, push ahead, compare yourself to others and that sort of stuff. I think it's all just these ingredients that people just get sucked into, get injured, um, you know, you, you love the high moments, but yeah, you hate the mm -hmm. low moments and there's a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of low moments in there. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of the beauty of it in many ways that it is just like, um, those highs and lows, but also like the majority of it is just a bit mundane, a bit, you know, it's just kind of the practice of it. And that's really something I've been thinking about a lot lately is just that, it's that repetition that we just do it day after day and and yeah you'll have the really good days you will also have the days where you really struggle but most days are just getting it done and um and mm. there's something really i think really beautiful about that in that over these years we just kind of build up this um habit ritual to getting out there and doing something that we know helps our body and our mind even if sometimes it doesn't help our body and our mind if we do what we did and go too far <laughs> yeah well one thing you did mention in the book was to like embrace imperfections and mm -hmm. i think that's a, a a concept that you know a lot of those type a runners are like what what are you talking about um mm. and like those those against the grain or like contrary to what some runners might be thinking over the years and training for and that sort of stuff just um 
it was like perfectionism. I wrote down perfectionism is the enemy of sustainability. And I think that's, um, you know, something that runners might not consider. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also like the um, self-sabotaging that we do, like when it comes to runners, do you have much to say on like the personality traits in general? If someone feels like they are reflecting back, and feeling like their perfectionistic traits are not serving them or they feel like they do have some self-sabotaging strategies that they're now realizing. Um, do you have any mm. tips for them on what, what they can do to turn things around? Yeah, I mean, this is such an important piece, although I want to speak to you first that I think a lot of the times uh, we don't want to admit and acknowledge that we have perfectionistic tendencies like you know the whole kind of joke in the running space of running till you hit zero zero or like you know turn over to exactly a k or whatever rounding up that would be or uh, or a mile um and we just say oh well that's just i just want it to be a round even number but what is that when you break it down it's control it's making it's like a, a fear-based thing of like you know i have to get it over this i have to it's kind of these things that we do as runners, but it's also a sign that we are maybe putting a lot into the numbers and the stats of things. Same with looking at pace, you know, judging your easy run pace to see how fit you are, all of those things. And so I think a lot of the time we don't recognize that we kind of write it off. And that is in the book, we talk also about uh, red S or relative energy deficiency in sport, um, which can affect, you know, all genders, all sizes, all speeds, all abilities, everything across the board, runners and anyone in any sport can deal with it. But we a lot of the time it is those people who are very numbers driven and, and um, can commit and are performance focused. And we might not even realize that we're doing these behaviors that can be damaging. Um, and so I, I really do think this is something that well, I hope it came across that Zoe and I wanted to focus on is um, is this perfectionism and recognizing that we these these behaviors aren't serving us. I mean, again, going back to looking at data, uh, your paces or your who else you follow on Strava, like you are only doing yourself harm by looking at what other people are doing and saying, well, I, why can't I do that? And one thing I think we forget with that is that we we forget that when we log on to social media, we're seeing a, a highlight reel of people. But in the past, let's say in your village, you would have been maybe the best person at starting a fire, but you maybe wouldn't be so good at um, collecting wood. And maybe another person is the best person at hunting rabbit. Um, but we we look at social media and we're like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not the best at that. I'm not the best at that. I'm not the best at that. And it just becomes I'm not good enough with anything. Um, and, th- and that just destroys us, right? Because all we're seeing is not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, combined with people saying like, oh, everything is going so well. Um, and so with the perfectionism, we just really strongly believe that it stops so much potential coming through. Um for runners to actually be able to a, do their best but enjoy it because that perfectionism sucks so much fun out of anything that you're doing and it means that people are standing on start lines like shaking with nerves because of what happens if I don't hit the goal I w- want to get and like all that energy they're wasting on shaking around because they're that nervous that they feel like they might vomit 
Um, whereas if you were, if we're able to like say, you know what, even if it's not a good day, I'll be okay. My family will still love me. I'm going to do the best I can. And that's all I can do. Then now it can be enjoyable. Now you can run to your best because you haven't wasted all your energy in, in just things that aren't going to help you. So I would say focusing as much as possible on letting go of these things that you control and only you, the listeners, only you know what those elements of your life are. I find it funny when you talk about runners keeping to the numbers and really honing in on <clears throat> stats and that sort of stuff. Part of me thinks that a lot of them wrap their identity in those sort of traits and they kind of find it um, part of the sport or like part of them. Uh, they, mm. they kind of enjoy it in a way like, oh, yeah, I'm a runner because I, you know, keep to this specific time or I have these routines and these regiments and um, quite – fixated on that like some people are really wrapped up into that belief and that identity which can be really hard to mm-hmm. detach from um is it is it something like is it worth trying to pick out personality traits like really identify or like layer back your own personality traits and finding what perfectionistic traits are best serving you in certain situations or what are best like like being of disservice in certain in certain circumstances because uh, I so, sort of see when a runner goes well or when a runner's enjoying stuff. Like I think some people can find a joy in following people on Strava or looking at what other people are doing. Um, they can draw motivation. They can draw inspiration. They can do those sorts of things, but it can quickly turn around in other circumstances where that quickly disserv- it becomes a disservice of competitiveness and, you know, overdoing things um Mm. what do you think about that yeah I mean the the thing that comes to my came to mind while you were saying that was um I do think that it does serve us sometimes and I can say quite confidently I probably wouldn't I wouldn't have run for Great Britain had I not had those tendencies had I not had that focus had I not been prepared to go do the things that I needed to do. If I had this approach right now that I have, would I have run that? Probably not. So it was, it did serve me in some, in some ways. But as you said, it is quite difficult to keep that for a period of time, especially as you mentioned earlier, in a sport like running where it's year round, you don't really need anything. You can keep going and do the same thing year after year after year. Whereas, um, you know, other sports or um, uh, things that people might do have maybe seasons or they do them for certain in certain times of the year um, and so it can very easily switch which it did with me and became becomes a point where you that's all you feel that you have to offer and but what kept coming to mind is for me it was all about fear of not being good enough while that allowed me to achieve these things each time I achieved something it wasn't like when I did that I was like okay I'm confident now I I know who I am I felt I feel fulfilled it was like each time I did something it was like all right what's next and Mm -hmm. so that is the piece that I think runners listening have to dig into is asking yourself 
is this serving you? Yes. But also, what is this trying to fill? Like, are, are you putting on this, if I achieve this thing, then I will be happy, then I will be satisfied, then my dad will be proud of me, then I, everyone around me will respect me. What is it about those, um, about achieving this thing or about doing this thing that you were doing it for? If it's because... Uh, I want to do this because I want to see what I'm capable of. I want to challenge myself. I want to see what my potential is. Then amazing. Keep going at that. But if it is for someone else or to prove to someone or to do something else um, and thinking that coming out the other side of this will prove to someone, even if it's yourself, that you are now X, Y, Z then that is kind of the time to really reassess this and decide whether you could benefit from doing some of the things Zoe's, Zoe and I talked about, which is... Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Like adding more into your world, not having it just be about these numbers and these stats and, and achieving all the time. Yeah. And you, you said it well. It's like you can decide to do these certain things. Like you can decide where your motivations are or what your drive is um, if you feel like you're reflecting back and putting pressure on yourself because you're relying on the approval of others um, or just your own impossible expectations that you put upon yourself, um, mm -hmm. the high standards that you set, you can easily decide to reframe why and what your motivations are if you've recognized that it's not sustainable. Like that's definitely like if you're just constantly trying to set impossible tasks for yourself or approval that you're never going to get from critics or anything like that. Um, know that, like identify that and identify, mm. like come up with your own path. Okay. Let me rethink why I'm doing this. Let me set, reset my reasons why maybe it is mm -hmm. for my own health. Maybe it is for the love of the sport. Maybe it is for connection and community and all those other elements that you can embrace, celebrate, remind yourself mm -hmm. uh, when you things are going well. You can run a marathon and not focus on the finishing time. You can embrace the day, embrace the crowd, cheer on runners and, you know, absolutely love the day and yeah. cross the finish line, not, not just fixated on the time and whether it was how well you did, but just mm -hmm. learning to embrace the the love of the sport that's yes something that you can do in a flick of a switch if you decide to do that um it doesn't necessarily need to be this really slow process over time um mm. once you decide and think about it and reinforce it it can be quite quick and um maybe some runners need to reconsider that yeah yeah and i think there's ways that this that you can do both as well like um, you know, if you, like I was saying earlier about not wanting to run with someone, uh, in a group, like 
realistically on your recovery day running with someone who runs 30 seconds per mile per k slower than you is not going to make a difference or if you like one of the suggestions I have is is giving back as running as a guide Um, if you did that once a week that's not really going to affect your training if you uh, decided that you were going to volunteer on a weekend that's not going to affect your training I mean there's ways that you can still have these this lifestyle but dip your toes in the water of seeing that there's more out there and uh and just getting a feel for that you have more to offer the world and um and you can still still chase things but also be be more than just your times yep yeah well said um i'm (laughs) curious to know because still talking about this part one of the book talking about Mm. the the body um having a sustainable body and that that um is really important for a lot of runners, obviously. Uh, you did mention in, in that part about reducing injury risks. Obviously, if we do things to lower our risk of injury, that's going to help become more sustainable, but also enjoyment and, you know, continuing to run consistently and consistently season by season, year by year, if we're reducing that risk. Um, over your years, what are you currently implementing to reduce your risk of injury? Um, Well, I would say the number one thing for me is strength training. Uh, I really bought into it during the last five years of my professional career and I saw how much of a difference it made. I also did a lot of um, uh, very, I want to make the point of saying that I worked with experts, you know, people who were trained in this had worked in this for many years of changing my running form to be more efficient um and so those two things were critical but the strength training during the uh after I left elite running and during the pandemic I just could not keep up with it and doing it on my own that is um and I kept finding little things kept coming up I kept feeling like my body wasn't one piece it felt like it was just a bit discombobulated and not joined together and the strength training I felt it come back to where my body felt like it was working as one so I would say that is for me definitely the key thing I will admit I'm not great with foam rolling and um, doing the mobility work (laughs) and I need to be better at that again that's this is becoming Um, but I think the biggest thing other than strength training is listening as I said I'm taking three days off immediately this was not like a, oh, let's see how it goes. Um, I know with Achilles, you can't just like take time off and expect it to just go away. But um, I immediately went to get some um, some treatment and I have been working on um, this issue for a while now. Um, but uh, I think the biggest thing is listening. So sometimes that means that I'm feeling, I haven't had much sleep maybe the last few, the nights before, my body is feeling tired and saying to myself, okay, I really don't feel great. I know I had 10 miles on the, on the plan here, but I think I'm going to cut it at six or, um, you know, deciding to take an extra rest day. If that's, if I get that feeling, that sensation in my gut that I'm pushing my boundary too hard. And I think that's the reason until this recent, just now, I haven't really had any kind of injury over the last three or four years because it's just been actually trusting myself to tell, trusting my body to tell me when I needed to back off. And that has mostly worked. And I'm assuming that takes a lot of practice to know Mm -hmm. what's 
what is an alarm bell and what is just a sign of just general training or, you know, pushing yourself and uh, is it just an innocent niggle? Is it just general muscle soreness? Is it an injury? I'm assuming through your career you've learned to fine tune and sort of have a best guess estimate of what that might be. I mean, yes and no. I do think I am quite good at reading my body. I also am very um, diligent with seeking out treatment if once and I really believe once you have someone you know and trust um, when things do come up you know trying to get in and see them as soon as you can um, you know you're obviously a great example here um, is gonna (laughs) is gonna really make a difference um, in that critical period of where something is sore or hurting or maybe throbbing or something And you're at this critical point where if you keep going, you're adding 10,000 more steps um, over the course of a few days. Or if you check with that person and they're like, yep, should, you know, should be okay. Be careful if the pain gets more of a four out of 10, then maybe back off, but otherwise keep going. Or that person saying, "Oh, oh, oh, let's take a few days off now and then let's get back to it quicker. So I'm a big fan of speaking to getting professional help. But I also do think to your point, um, for me, mostly it's a case of like, I, you know, sharp pains, if they continue, absolutely, that's a sign something's not right. The pain after running, that's quite often a sign of like a warning sign. Um, and, And I find for me, if it starts to affect my daily life, like if it hurts me to walk or if it hurts me to, you know, chase my kids around, then you know, that's, that's definitely time to go do something about it and stop hoping that it's going to get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some good insights there. Um, and I'd be curious to know, cause you did talk about the strength training. Um, mm. people would love to know what your strength training routine looks like. Maybe not to go mm. into complete detail, but like just a, a surface level. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. My strength coach and I actually disagree on this, but I, I am very much of the mindset that like, you can't, uh, like I should have exercises that are set for me. Um, and he thinks that like there are certain exercises that all runners can benefit from. He's obviously the expert, so they should definitely trust him or people should trust him, <laughs> him <laughs> over me. But that said, um, we do change it up like most weeks, but there's very much, um, there's always some kind of mobility work to begin with. So some kind of dynamic stretching or movement. Uh, there's always some plyometrics or some kind of uh, power uh, plyometrics or power so that might be like med ball slams something like this morning he was throwing the ball above my head a med ball above my head I had to catch it above my head which I wasn't very good at my (laughs) apparently my hand uh, coordination is not the best I had to grab it above my head and then slam it on the ground so something like that Um, we always do some kind of like um, you know deep glute work in there like something today I did goblet squats Um, we always do some kind of pull and push movements, um, and, uh, and then hat hamstrings as well. Something with, um, you know, really, really working those in one of the pieces of equipment. So it tends to be the same muscle groups that we work on, but changing the exercise up regularly, which I really like. Um, but I think for me as a runner, the, the power is in the, the plyometrics like box jumps or um the power stuff with the med ball stuff that for me is where i really feel is ha- is helping me the most and really allowing things to come together in the running 
Good. And I'm guessing the variety helps with um, sort of your enjoyment of it as well and helps yes. keep consistent with it instead of getting bored, mundane, and, you know, then you start prioritizing other things over strength training and then, you know, it just falls by the wayside. That's so true. Although anytime he offers me to go on the bike, I don't think that helps me. I mean, I do. <laughs> I know it helps me. I just hate it. Like, I don't know what it is about the stationary bike. When he has me do like a little short mini workout on that, I just, I never, I never enjoy that ever. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> so don't set that for me if I ever come visit you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll do. Part two of the book is all about community. And uh, I really wanted to touch on this because some runners don't actually consider it. Like I know a lot of recreational runners listen to this and, um, I think there's like solo runners who mm. have never embraced community. Um, can you maybe just touch on like, uh, like reminding us or in, enlightening us about how community can have a positive impact for runners? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I do think you're right. There's a lot of runners out there who kind of, as we talked about earlier, just get their training in then maybe they get up early, they get in before the day starts and then they don't think about running the rest of the day. There's also a lot of runners who, um, you know, have maybe not what they would consider community, but people that they follow online or they connect with or Strava's they pay attention to. Um, and they might engage a little bit through comments, but they don't really think of it as a community. Well, we really wanted to kind of show that you can level up what you're doing by using um, what is around you. And maybe that means that's online. Maybe that's, you know, the 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 group that you have, um, Brody, that offers people an opportunity to get to know other runners who have similar interests. Maybe that's a group physically where you live. Maybe it's a group based on passions. I mean, um, for me, with environmentalism being a big passion, when I come across someone like a Zoe, who um, is also very um, passionate about the sustainability, uh, we really, you know, stay in touch. We talk a lot and that's something that's of interest to me. Um, and so we really talked about ways of finding your people and that could be through running with others, that could be through um, mentoring. And one thing I want to mention about mentoring is just that like, I think when runners think of mentoring, they might think of someone like me, someone who's a former elite athlete, who's been running a long time, but I want to remind people listening to this that even if you're a recreational runner, even if you only picked up running six months ago or a year ago, you still have so many things that you have learned that a new runner, a brand new runner could use as help. So, you know, giving back to other runners so that they don't feel that sense of like, what does a tempo mean? Or like, what is this weird kudos that people keep referring to I don't know what that means you know so you like even that can be a way to give back and that helps us all feel good right by when we find ways to give back um and then taking that giving back further uh I mentioned earlier like you know running as a guide for a visually impaired runner or volunteering or pacing um that could be trail or that could be you know the people with the signs in in road marathons but each of those things are just ways to um be social about it and and connect with people who are have shared passion we all know that runners are just really good people who care about the world who care about each other who you know are out there um doing their thing every day but also craving that social connection so um 
as someone who never really engaged with the community, I can say from the other side that life is much better when you do. <laughs> yes. We're social creatures, aren't we? And yeah. I know it's funny, like, it seems like such a um, a task to go out and socialize mm-hmm. or do a maybe even just like doing a park run for me. Like I would go for a run and I love, like the thing about me is I just enjoy running. Like I can just mm-hmm. go listen to something or even just like listen to nature and just run for an hour or two and then come back and be very fulfilled with that. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> attending like a park run, I'm like, okay, that's effort. Like, you know, there's going to be a lot of people. Yeah. I'm going to be like all this sort of stuff. I, I, I just want to go into my bubble. But when I do it, I feel so much better. Like yeah. I, yeah. you know, just seeing people, just interacting, just like encouraging each other on. And, you know, Parkrun does a really good job of like celebrating and welcoming new mm. people and, mm. Uh, making sure that you're not going to be the slowest. We're embracing people who are slow and taking their time and, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, you just feel so much better. Like we're social creatures, even though it does feel like a little bit of a resistance to eventually get in there. Um, it's it's what we do. It's like, you know, it gives a new energy. It's, uh, it's, it's something that's really quite powerful. And I think people should at least embrace it. Like you say, level up, maybe just do that next little thing and see how you feel Mm. sort of tap into those sorts of things. If you, if you, if it's something going in person is scary and we do speak to that, that it can be, especially if maybe you've gone to a group and you have been left behind, but like Martinez Evans, who just brought out the book, um, slow AF run club. He is a perfect example of someone who is creating community online and in person, um, for people who do identify as slower runners, for people who haven't felt like they could go to these groups because they were the the slow one or the big one or whatever it might be. And, and so even think about, you know, for the listeners, think about the identities that you hold. Um, and I'm not necessarily talking about like gender, sexuality or like race, but literally what things do you say about yourself? And there's probably some people online at least for that with meetups happening in person. So where you can get more confident in doing things and find your people by that. Mm. And one thing I think that is more impactful with in-person community compared to like the online community is like when a runner's injured and they can't run, uh, that some people can be really down on themselves because they're taking, mm. you're taking a lot of weight. You're taking a lot of joy, mm. a lot of like uh, an outlet that people you have for mental health. And when you, when you can't run due to injury, it can really impact you, you know, not only because you're in physical pain, but emotionally and, um, psychologically and, you know, socially, all these sorts of things that, do get negatively impacted. But if you are injured and you do have a community that you can, you know, interact with in person, you can go and like you say, like volunteer to do something or just like be still be a part of that group can really help your mental state can help your um, social interactions and can actually Mm -hmm. help your recovery. It's, it's less of a daunting experience. So one, another reason why people should really consider leveling up their, community because that can have a real true impact yes so true so true that's such an important point is there any other ways like you did mention a few other a few ideas about giving back because it's not just about 
you embracing the community, it's, uh, it's like, you know, trying to make sure it's this well-rounded two-way street because, you know, some people feel good when they do something nice as well. Um, mm. And that requires a little bit of resistance and requires like a little bit of getting out there. But once you do it, you feel amazing. Um, For sure. What, what are some other ideas that um, might prompt some runners to take action? You mean in terms of giving back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, to start with, what came to mind is, a, is a, I guess it's a story, but kind of not. Um, last year, uh, April 2022, I ran with my friend Kyle, who um, is almost totally blind, um, in Boston. And after the race, he has a tiny bit of vision, like maybe a coin's worth of vision in one spot of his uh I guess feel the vision and um he said to me he's like did you just like know where all the cameras were or know where all the people who were taking pictures of us were and I said no I just was having that much fun that I was <laughs> literally smiling like grinning the entire time and with guiding people often say to me wow that's so amazing you what a what a good person you are like thank you so much for doing this and and I always say no no I'm the lucky one here because it is such a joy to feel like you are doing something that is bigger than yourself, that you are helping someone else with their own purpose and their own dreams and their own goals, particularly people who otherwise wouldn't be getting it. And we have another example in the book of um, someone called Stephanie Ormond, who quite often is a pacer. Uh, she run, you know, she's one of the people who runs with the back backpack that has the um the sign of three hours in the marathon or what I don't actually know what time she runs but um you know she does this quite often and she talked about how good it feels to be knowing that you are helping these people to achieve dreams um of their uh, that they might have had for a long time and you are helping them not only through your you know hopefully even pacing but also just through the inspiration that um, they are getting from other people that are in this group and this pack mentality of working together to achieve something. So, you know, becoming a pacer, maybe someone listening has appreciated a pacer themselves in the past and it's helped them run a PR. And the same thing with volunteering um, at a race. Uh, you know, we've all collected cups or been handed things on the side of the course or had someone stand there at the finish line and hand us our medal. And we know how good that feels. Um, and so doing that, you know, taking that extra step to sign up maybe with a friend to do something like that feels good. And then you may, you're going to appreciate it so much more when you are doing it yourself, because now you've recognized the time and the energy and the heart that these people are putting out to help you run a good race. Um, and so there's plenty of ways of, of doing it. Um, and I just, I just encourage people to try something. Um, it will bring you joy. It will make you feel um, like a good human. And there's so much in our world right now that makes us feel like we're not um, not good people, that we're not doing enough to, you know, take care of our world. So this is one small way that you could make someone's day by, yeah. by helping them. And I think um, just a reminder to, if you do see someone volunteer, to thank them as well. Like Yes, so true it's like even like the because i've volunteered say for park run a couple of times and just just people coming up saying thanks for volunteering like they recognize that you're taking some time away and it just makes you feel good but exactly. um 
you know, if you do see some people out and about, but when you're talking about guiding uh, during a race, I've probably attended more triathlons than I have running races, mm. to be fair. But I've actually seen, like, whenever I see someone guiding a blind person through a triathlon, like, it just makes you feel good. It's like, man, that is mm. awesome. That is mm-hmm. so cool that uh, they're out there doing it. Not, not only that someone is... Um, helping a blind person, but the blind person is actually doing a triathlon. Like it's um, just the act of witnessing that just made me feel good. And, you know, the person who's volunteering to do that, know that everyone who's seeing that is making them feel good. And it's like, a, mm. you know, it's this two-way street of all this um, positive energy, which I think we need to uh, at least embrace and sort of get over that little hurdle, that mm. little bit of resistance to, to do it in the first place. Cause it's so easy just to fall back into your own routines in your own little bubble. And, um, just like my <clears throat> little bubble that I exercise in and, you know, happy with and content and, <laughs> you know, I have a fulfilled life and happy, but just, it's just another level once you break yeah. that resistance to get out there and sort of embrace a little bit more bigger than yourself. Yes, exactly. Speaking of stuff bigger than yourself, we have the planet that we need to focus on as well, which is another mm-hmm. important section of your book. Um, have Have you always had this in mind? Like, has this level of sustainability always been important for you? Um, let's start with that. I wouldn't say it was this level. I've always been a, a conscious environmentally, I wouldn't say always, but I've been an environmentally conscious person for, for a long time. Um, but it wasn't like my parents were like tree hugging hippies who, you know, <laughs> climbed the trees and didn't get them chopped down or whatever. It was, my dad would tell me not to leave the door open because, you know, it was wasting heat and energy and there was no need to do that. Uh, we very much like ate food to use it up and not not make food waste. So it was it was very like simple things that my dad was would just talk to us about and and try and make us conscious of. Um, and then I I have mentioned this before, but the movie Fern Gully I really think pushed a button in me. Have you seen that, Brody? Did you watch I it when you no. were? Okay, so Fern Gully it was this like animated film. I think it came out in ninety one, maybe ninety six, somewhere around there. Um, and it's, it's kind of Disney-esque, but it's not Disney. Um, I don't even think it's universal. I don't, I think it's just kind of an independent, um, but it, it was about these fairies that lived in the forest and they, trees were being chopped down, um, for, you know, the same reasons they are chopped down in our, in our world, um, to make things for humans. And this pollute, they freed this pollution monster, essentially, who, who eats pollution so the pollution made by the machine cutting the trees down he eats this pollution and he gets stronger anyway so (laughs) that pushed a button in me because uh it talked about pollution it talked about um you know the bigger picture of like consumption but it also at the end the fairies all come together and um it talks about how like a single seed has the magic of creation in it so like one seed one plant can can be enough um and the fairies all come together and it's them working together to create and grow that traps this pollution monster back in another tree um and uh and so that really pushed a button in me to where i was very aware of um just the way that we treat this planet 
Um, but then it wasn't until my um, daughter was born that I really, you know, and we were starting to see the effects of climate change that I really started to think, wow, um, this is here right now. And um, and I, I likened it to, you know, the, the civil rights marches um, uh, of the past where, you know, I think at the time, I can't, I can't remember the percentage, but it was something very high, like 80, 90% of people at the time did not agree with those marches. But if you asked people now, you know, they everyone would like to think they were in that small percentage that would have marched. Um, gotcha. The reality is most people wouldn't. And so I wanted to look back on this and be like, did I do what I could in that moment? Or did I like sheep act as a sheep and be like, oh, I'll deal with that when it comes to it. Um, so I knew I wanted to make a choice that would, I would be able to answer my daughter's question of the same thing in 30 years of, did you do what you could, did you do the right thing and be able to say yes. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Um, to sort of forecast and, um, do stuff right now that can, you can look back on in in Mm. so many decades from now. It's, it's really powerful. And the, going back to say a general recreational runner, is there Mm -hmm. some elements of their patterns or behaviors and things they may not be considering that might be detrimental to the planet or little things that they can do Mm. to turn things around and to help with that? Yeah. I mean, there's quite a few things. And I first want to speak to the fact that in this book, Zoe and I do not tell you, as I said earlier, to go vegan, to never fly again, to you know do all these extreme measures we do some of those things i'm not a vegan um i fly home i fly some places um what we really try to do in the book is to show people that um the industries the the 100 companies that are responsible for 71 percent of global emissions they want us to keep pointing fingers at one another because then the attention's not on them so with this book, it's not a case of me, it's not going to make you feel like a terrible person. And I want to start with that because I think that's so important because a lot of the environmental movement has kind of been that way of like, you need to do better and you, we all need to do this. And it makes people feel like I just can't win uh, nothing. I'm, I'm never going to be able to do this. My one voice doesn't matter. So I hope in this book, what we have done have given people ways to believe that they can. And so in answer to your question, what are some things? I think the number one thing that comes to mind is runners can be a little bit um, consumption, even though we think our sport is not really needing much. I mean, the latest shoes, uh, you know, these shoes that last 100 miles, um, we got to think about everything that you purchase for your running. Think about where it's going to end up after after you're done with it so you know those super shoes um ending up in a landfill for a few hundred years was that worth it for you to run four marathons in it and nothing else um and the same with with items you know getting a new watch do we actually need a new watch or are we just doing it for some feature that we probably won't use um and so you know trying to cut down on the number of things that you're buying, but also the quality of things that you are buying. So are you just getting lots of cheaply made, easy to get um, on sale things that are going to break down within, 
you know, a week, uh, a few weeks of use or the first few uses, or are you going to get something that's going to last a long time and have that durability to it? And so within the running space, it's better to spend money on those better made items to last longer rather than, you know, getting lots of cheap items that break down easily and then again have to end up in a landfill. And the other thing I, I would maybe say is just watch out for recycling um, because I think we've definitely been sold this idea um, by the plastics industry, the, the primarily the beverage industry, the drinks industry, that um, recycling is the way to go. Recycling is the way, a way you can care about the planet. But the reality is that almost every study finds that less of less than 10% of plastics have ever been recycled. Um, and so we lean on that as runners and people in a way of like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm putting this in, in the recycling. But firstly, I would tell you, like they say, if in doubt, throw it out. If you are not sure if that item can be recycled, if it says on your recycling bin, you know, this type of thing. And you're like, well, is that, or is it not? Does that fall into this category or not? Put it in the bin, in the trash. Do not put it in the recycling and hope for the best. Um, and just try and take that away as your way of proving your environmental commitment. Because I think that lets us off the hook. And it also um, is in many ways more damaging than good. Um, and we make that point in the book. So uh, try to find other ways which might be like composting that is a huge way of um, that you can make a difference within your own world maybe it's trying meatless once a week that is that can make a big difference maybe it's seeing if you can um, you know drive or get the train somewhere instead of flying all the time it's just small changes that can be made but I wouldn't make recycling kind of the pinnacle of your commitment to sustainability yeah a lot of things like like you say it's sort of so many domains of your life that you can just make small tweaks here and there and then try and better yourself better yourself better yourself as you as you go on it doesn't need to be this huge drastic life-changing shift mm -hmm. you can start off small and um yeah just sort of chip away it a little bit more each time i think the shoes the running shoes will resonate with a lot of people uh, mm. I've, I've had so many people that just go through shoes. They love going through shoes and trying new shoes and purchasing new shoes as soon as a new shoe comes out. And the some parts of our industry are like, oh, you need new shoes. Oh, you need to replace your shoes. Look at this wear and tear. Look mm -hmm. at this, all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. And I've had people with like just because they see some fading on the bottom of their shoes that they think there's time for a new one. And I'm like, Oh yeah. my God, you should see the shoes that I have at home. Mm -hmm. That like, mm -hmm. I wait until they have like holes going straight through the bottom to, to then get them replaced. And, um, I think that's, you know, it's sometimes not the runner's fault because uh, shoe companies are Absolutely. You know, forcing it onto them. And I mm -hmm. think that one in particular is going to resonate with a lot of people. So, um, yeah. And yeah. I just want to like take him, take that one step further and, and allow people to think about the fact that with all the technology that we have, I think about this often with all the technology that we have in the world, you're telling me that running brands don't know how to make a material that can handle a runner being on cement for more than 200 miles or 300 miles they they could figure it out of how to make a shoe last for a thousand miles or um, 1500 miles but why don't they because it brings you back right they they want 
people to keep coming back to the shoes and maybe at some point someone will prove me wrong but um just think about that fact that you know running shoe companies running stores are going to encourage you to get a new pair of shoes when you like you said Brody start seeing a bit of wear on the bottom or um you know if you're if you start start seeing your toe starting to poke through a tiny bit on the on the side these these are all signs that yes maybe you should do something about it but can it be repaired can it continue is it actually doing any harm to you or is it just those running running brands running stores saying all right time to get a new pair give us another 150 dollars thank you so <laughs> just keep that in mind reminds me of like the apple company as well like when we iPhones used to come out and the, the battery used to be absolutely shot after two years and For sure. used to think like, this is a bit weird. Like, you know, surely they have better, <laughs> better batteries. Surely they, they've got a good quality phone. And then, you know, that was back in my teens and now it's obvious that mm. they could do better, but mm -hmm. you know, you don't get a new iPhone every two years if it doesn't significantly <laughs> mm -hmm. lose its function. Um, yes. Yeah. Same thing would happen. No, exactly. There's a lot of a lot of manipulation going on, and again, it's those. It's that is the the thing of of if you know, I'm pointing my fingers at you, saying, "Brody, why are you getting a new phone every year?" Then um, you're saying, "Oh well, because I well, at least I don't fly all the time," and you know, then you're pointing <laughs> back and forth at each other, um, but no one's saying, "Hey, Apple." Why don't you make a phone that lasts longer? Hey, hey, um, Qantas, why don't you make a, a plane that flies on, um, you know, some kind of environmentally friendly fuel? Because then we're not talking to them. So that's just the kind of thread to keep in mind with all of this is that, you know, as, as Zoe often says, um, these companies are laundering their guilt through us and it's working. <laughs> so keep that in mind. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you very much for those insights. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else that people might expect from the book? Anything we might not have discussed already? And importantly, where can people get their hands on the book? <laughs> yeah. Um, as for what we haven't discussed, I mean, we've kind of gone over each of the areas. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I, I do just kind of want to say more than anything to people that I know the environmental movement is a lot. It's overwhelming. It makes you feel like nothing you can ever do is enough, that your one voice doesn't matter and that we're all doomed, so what's the point anyway? Um, but those of us who are deep in this, who are, are do consider ourselves environmentalists, who are in the trenches, we're optimistic and we do believe in humanity and we do believe in you, but we what we have to do here is come together. That is the one thing that these people in who hold the power, who hold these systems in place, don't want us to do is organize and come together. So whatever that might be for you, maybe that is taking vegetarian sausages to a barbecue and saying, I'm bringing these because I'm trying to eat meatless once a week because I, you know, I'm, I've really been a little bit freaked out by the wildfires that are happening around the world. And I'm, you know, I want to start trying to do my part. That is, a, that's a conversation starter. That is important. Um, maybe for you, it is speaking up at your lo on your local school, your child's school board to say, hey, um, I've, I wonder if we could change this so that we're not, um, you know, using these plastic bags every day, but maybe could we bring in a reusable bag for the kids to take their snacks home in? Whatever your field is, start doing something. And I hope the book shows you to do that because, um, 
that's how things happen is us starting somewhere and accepting that we're going to be imperfect and that is okay um and then in terms of where people can find it um you can go to becoming a sustainable runner.com it's got the links to all the places um i don't actually know what the major retailer is in the in australia but there is amazon au on there um but it should be at you know whatever the major retailer is um countrywide over there um if you want to find it there too excellent well done and like you said this is a journey it's not just like Mm -hmm. sustainable unsustainable it's becoming it's 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 there in the title and no one's perfect no one's asking you to be perfect it's just about you know seeing how you like assessing what your current situation is and whether we can level up a little bit here and there in Mm -hmm. other little domains and see how that feels does it feel good for you does it feel does it give you purpose does it give you a bit more of a general um part in the world and Mm -hmm. if you like that journey you're on here are a lot more elements to expand upon that this is the you know other little things and so i really like that it's a not pushy yet Mm. extremely practical yet um just covering a whole range of domains and talking about running as well and finding your love for running and we it's what everyone who's listening to this podcast wants to do and so i want to thank you for being such an advocate thank you for like just reminding us, bringing it to our attention, giving us practical steps to do, yeah. um, letting mm-hmm. people know that it's okay that you um, you aren't this big hippie extremist and someone who yeah. can just do their parts in little ways and um, help your quality of running, help your quality of life, help your quality mm-hmm. of relationships and um, mm-hmm. want to congratulate you on the book. I know it's a huge effort. It's a massive undertaking. Um I'm, you I'm know, assuming yeah. you're extremely <laughs> relieved that it's out and now that people can read it and have it physically yes. in their hands. So thank you very much for playing your part. Thank you so much, Brody, for all that you do. Cause as I mentioned earlier, you you're important and um, yeah, it matters. So thank you. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20 minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough.